This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high-value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations. Today, I'm speaking with Dylan White, who's an information security engineer in Know Before. Thanks for chatting with me today, Dylan. Hey, Thomas, how's it going? I am great. So before we get too deep, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your background, and the work that you do for Know Before? Sure thing. So to go all the way back, I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida, so I'm a Florida native. I went to University of Florida for my bachelor degree. I ended up getting a computer engineering degree. I started out in aerospace, but decided I wasn't a big fan of college physics. So moved over to computers where um, it's a core programming class. It was pretty good. And that kind of went from there. Delved into some security that kind of piqued my interest towards the later year of college. And, uh, you know, decided that's where I kind of wanted to go. Did a couple projects, actually dipped my feet into some machine learning stuff, which was also very interesting. So after college, obviously started looking for a job. I saw that No Before was out there, had really, really high ratings on just employee satisfaction, as well as uh, it being still relatively new when I applied, you know, still a growing startup company at that point. Went ahead and applied, got the job. I met my boss for the first time, had a very interesting interview where it was more of him learning about me personally with a little bit of here and there of what your skills are, things like that. So that was really fun to do. Got lucky enough to get the job and hired as a security awareness manager. Basically, I was doing the internal security awareness program at uh, Know Before, which is also very fun. Got to fish some people and do some cool projects, um, stat keeping, things like that. And then over the course of a year and a half, I was able to take some skills I learned from, you know, my programming class, computer engineering, and automate a lot of the workflow that I was doing in uh, the security and awareness world, utilizing things like scripting languages with the built-in functionality of our products, CAMSAT, HDR, things like that. They were pretty good at tying those things in. So I was able to automate most of my work, which was nice. And then... Um, I was able to move over to more of an automations and integrations role from there. And here we are. That's what I'm doing now. I'm looking at taking all we can data-wise, pulling that in and helping my team figure out what to do with it, as well as some extra automation so they don't have to do all the work, right? Automate the boring stuff is the motto here. And yeah, that's what I do. I love it. And that's very much, I suppose, should be the philosophy of all to know before. For those listeners that may not be super familiar with know before, can you tell me a little bit about the company and what, what you do? Sure, sure. So the goal of Know Before is to help solve the problem of social engineering with companies. So basically, we're looking to train employees so that they don't fall for phishing or other social engineering attempts that could be made against um, themselves and their peers. It's really about bringing people together to stop any sort of hacker being able to exfiltrate information or maybe get 
access they wouldn't otherwise have using just techniques like asking for permission to do something or like, hey, can I have a password here through an email or a phone call and being able to slip in without doing any real work, right? So the goal here is to make it as hard as possible for people to really do any damage. So, uh, and we have a couple different products and you can always head to noble4.com to check out all the stuff we have. But the big one is uh, KMSAT, which is the Kevin Mitnick security awareness training platform. And that basically makes it super easy to not only assign training that might be, you know, compliance for compliance purposes, uh, involving security awareness to employees, but you can also easily test them via live phishing tests, which we call PSTs. So it really wraps everything up in a nice little thing so that we can get a good look into how your company is doing on the security awareness front. I've used the platform a little bit. It's obviously, uh, it's super powerful, but as like somebody who used its security awareness training internally against employees of know before, you must have gotten pretty good at it. Oh, yes, yes. You get to the point where you know what will get people. If you do it long enough, it becomes second nature to think like what would actually affect somebody. And you can get pretty deep into it. People kind of are ignorant to what the bad guys will try to get to you. And that's a mistake. At any point in time, doesn't matter if you're busy, if you're not busy, doesn't matter if you're going through a hard time. Hackers don't care. They will ping you on something really personal. They will make sure that it's really, really tricky. And, you know, for a lot of corporate environments, um, it could be as easy as clicking on a link and then boom, you're, you're compromised. So you really got to take into account how devious some of these things can be. So that's what our platform is trying to do is really trying to let you in on what the hackers are doing. So. I suppose you almost seem a little bit proud of the, the devious nature of some of the stuff that, that you did in, uh, did in there. What are some of the techniques, I suppose, or what are some of the lures that people should be looking out for these days? Oh, man. So I guess the most popular ones are financial lures. So somebody will send a PDF of, let's say, um, a receipt that maybe account management will have to take care of. And then they click on this PDF and then, you know, one thing leads to another and ended up on a page you're not supposed to be on, download some materials, and then oh, they have ransomware in the computer, and then that's what kind of happens. So finance is usually a big target. I mean, Kevin Mitnick actually talks about this in, I think, the most recent security awareness training he does. But the more devious ones are things that you wouldn't expect. My favorite phishing test that I ever made was it was an email, and it was just completely blank, and the whole thing was a big white picture. So it looked like the email was just blank. But if you clicked on it, it would send you an efficient page. So, you know, you get the email and you're looking around and you're like, what is going on here? And then you just say, say, happen to click on the page anywhere and it would send you somewhere. And that, that was one of my favorites to do. And people would be furious to be like, what is this? You know, so that one was really cool. I think I got one of my team members with that as well, which was really funny. Uh, oh, wow. so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think one of the, we might talk about that a little bit later, but one of the things that's important is like, and I think the security team is fair game, but making sure that I suppose people know that this is like for awareness, for training, as opposed to like, you know, catching you out. I think one of the challenges with security right now is that I suppose people feel really, really bad. And like, they may not report things that they think they're going to be shamed in any way associated with it. Is there anything that you think, uh, I suppose, know before doing for that to make sure that people feel like, hey, they're actually contributing to, you know, the overall security posture by reporting and even like by acknowledging some of the challenges they face? It is easier for us because this is our bread and butter. This is what we do. The culture is kind of already built in. It's your job as an employee to 
take responsibility. And this can be visibly seen in, in upper management. Stu, for example, is huge on, which is our CEO, Stu Sherman. And he's really big on extreme ownership and hyper visibility into what's going on. When he clicks on a phishing link, he's the first one to say it in the morning meeting. So following that example, a lot of our employees kind of already have the mindset, okay, it's okay to say, hey, I messed up here. We make it very clear in our onboarding training that it's okay. Just let us know so that if there is a problem, we can fix it as quickly as possible. The big issues will be when you don't say anything. We make it very clear. Um, And it's really just about consistent discussion on these topics. It's okay for employees to talk to each other. Hey, something I clicked on this, try to don't, don't do that. Don't fail for this test. So because that's how the real world would work, right? Like, Hey, I got this phishing email. I got this fishy email. Watch out for that. Don't, don't click on it. And you want that discussion from a security standpoint. You want people to be involved in thinking about what the bad guys are doing, basically, especially and, when it comes to social engineering. Yeah. And you want everybody to be able to yeah feel comfortable in reporting so that they can keep the rest of the company safe. That one person reporting can very well yeah, be the difference in an actual real life attack succeeding and, and failing. So the more people that report, even if they have clicked, the uh, the better. You said early on that you got, a, I suppose, even when you were in your security awareness role, you got involved in automation. What got you excited? Why did you feel the need to go to automation as a solution? Well, a lot of it was a sense of, I don't want myself or other people to be worried about doing the boring thing. So for example, provisioning users in CAMSAT, you know, if you do that manually, that's pretty boring, you know, have to put in all that information for every user. Luckily, we have some built-in functionality that I was able to make use of to send data over in a non-typical way so that our, our platform could actually ingest it. So there wasn't any errors, right, on the side. Like, you know, if the user, for example, the manager is listed wrong, we don't want a different person getting a phishing or an email saying, hey, so-and-so user isn't, you know, getting training or whatever is late on their training. We don't want the wrong person getting that email. There's some, you know, weird things that can go on there. So really the goal here was I want to make it as easy as possible for myself and other people so that they don't have to sit there and do the boring things. They can go do the fun things and, you know, make things better over time instead of worrying about the same old thing, right? So that was the initial kind of push that got me into a lot more, you know, Python, a lot more utilizing the cloud, right, for automation, cron jobs, things like that. So that's kind of what the push was. And then when it got to the point where all the stuff started getting automated, my boss, Brian, was very like, well, let's do this. This is great. You know, so he allowed me to kind of you know, open up the wings of what I was interested in and, and keep flying. So uh, it's really nice to have somebody that's, I suppose, uh, yeah, able to appreciate it and able to like give you the possibility to do some of the work that you really want to do. It's not a, that's definitely not always the case in security, fortunately, or right. Uh, unfortunately. So if you were looking at security automation today, how would you describe the state of security automation in the security industry in general? So I would say it's very exciting. There's never been a time before where you have such access to a variety of tools from open source to cloud infrastructure to kind of these enterprise tools that are making it a lot easier to bring everything together and start parsing out all this, you know, with the increase of data that we are getting, we're getting more and more tools to handle that data, which is is awesome because we can do more without being too overwhelmed, right? So I would say it's exciting. I think that the possibilities are endless on what you can end up doing. I think that once something starts getting into the consumer world of people like getting into 
you know, automating almost every part of their life. I mean, it's already getting there with uh, things like Alexa or some of the smart home stuff where you can say one thing and then there's a reminder on your fridge the next day, hey, do this, you know, like it's going to get really cool. So as long as we don't over saturate ourselves with all this and handle it well, it's going to be fun. Yeah, there's a ton of possibility on uh, yeah, what you can do. I'd love to see it get to the stage that it's as easy as Alexa, that it's as easy as uh, like mm-hmm. saying a command and you're able to automate a whole load of different uh, processes. What are some of the processes that you've automated? And I know, I know you said earlier that you automate the mundane, you automate the boring. But what are some of those, uh, those processes that you don't have to do anymore, I suppose? Well, I think one of the big ones, especially for my team, is just notifications to people. There's a lot of reaching out that used to happen, like if we get an alert. We double check with the user. We double check with the manager. Hey, what's going on here? Is there a reason this person is doing this specific thing? Now we have automation built in that if when we get an alert, it triggers a Slack message. That Slack message goes out. Person responds, comes back in, updates the ticket so that the InfoSec person that's looking at these things just has to look at the ticket once. Okay, here's all the context. Do I need to do anything else? Yes or no. And then let's say they need to trigger some other workflow. They click a button, that workflow triggers. So really, they never have to leave that ticketing system to do anything unless it's something that may require a lot of actions. But regardless, it makes their life easier because they can just fly through these tickets, get all the alerts done, and then move on to bigger and better things. So that, that was one of the biggest things that I think helped out my team. And you know, they were thankful for it, I'm sure. Yeah, 100%. And like, I think a lot of times customers do, do exactly that. But I suppose if we're thinking about that, how long would that process have taken you beforehand? What was the pre-automation how bad was that, I suppose? So if we go through a workflow here, we get an alert, it, it you know, spins up a ticket, person looks at the ticket, the analyst, and then, okay, what do I need to do? Oh, well, I need to look up something in our seam uh, to check the data. Okay, which person is this? Again, what's the IP address? Check that IP address, make sure it's you know not in Russia. Ping the user on Slack or an email, that takes a couple of minutes to write out the thing. Then you have to wait for the person to reply back. Let's say you moved on to something else and I have to go back to the ticket. What was I working on? Okay, this is what I was thinking. So it's a lot of time in between, a lot of opening up new pages, a lot of just doing the things that if it was all just in one place, it'd be so much easier to do. And, you know, you can save, you know, probably 5x time or more by just having something else automate that for you. You know, it just makes it so much easier. And yeah, I would say five times less work overall in time. Yeah, that's absolutely enormous. And hopefully that like makes the life of the analysts and the engineers in Nob for a lot, a lot happier than they would be if they, yeah, if they were spending time like yeah, opening multiple different tabs, spending more time in their scene than they uh than each. I don't know many people that love going to virus total 20 times a day, unless they're right. hunting or something like that. It's yeah. not uh it's not what you want to be spending your time on. When you're thinking about it, I suppose when you approach some of the projects, is there anything that you think you do differently or things that other people might be getting right or might be getting wrong when they're approaching uh, approaching automation? The big thing is prioritization. Yeah, Another going hand in hand is asking the question, what problem am I trying to solve? So if you get a request coming in, hey, this would be cool to do. You as the person that's making that automation really has to understand what the problem is so that you can come up with a solution that's actually going to work and not just be more work down the line, right? Because you can do something that will pull in more information for somebody, but if that's just overwhelming them and not really solving a problem, then it's probably not worth doing, right? I think that people are excited to step into this realm 
and then might do something that's cool, but not necessarily fruitful in the grand scheme of things of what kind of time reduction you can get or, you know, how useful that information is. So you really have to prioritize what you're doing and then in context with your organization and the goals that the organization has and the analysts that are looking at this data is what they will be doing with that data. So I think that's the biggest thing that people really should focus on when they start out. Yeah, definitely. And I'm picking up on something you said a little bit earlier, uh, or that you did a little bit of machine learning in uh, in college. Machine learning can be a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a dirty word in insecurity, where a lot of people think it's unnecessary, uh, or actually, you know, just a little bit of statistics is actually being used, but it's dressed up as uh, some fancy machine learning silver bullet. Have you been tempted to go down that route, or is that are you firmly in that? Actually, you know what, we need to uh, just focus on the things that are most important. Like most things, machine learning is a tool. It is not an end-all be-all for every problem, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's become a buzzword and almost like a meme at this point of like, our product has machine learning. Uh, it makes your life so much easier. Well, it can. Uh, it depends on how you use it, right? So working hands-on with it, trying to build a machine learning thing in college, you know, our project was basically, here's a picture. Does this picture make you happy or not happy, right? Very, very static. Two, there's two choices. And that's it. And then you need to take that picture plus 10,000 other pictures and run it through an algorithm that you may or may not have set up right. And then uh, see if that works compared to really just somebody's opinion on whether or not a picture. Right. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong. There's a lot of things that can help you out. So it's a good tool to look at. I think that we're going to get there to where we can start trusting in machine learning to do some things but when it comes to security as a whole it's really just going to be a small part yeah people are always going to be involved there's always going to be a need for somebody to be thinking of the big picture which is not really what machine learning is made for it's made for processing lots of data to maybe pinpoint certain things that might be interesting but again it's not the end all be all and then any company that tells you that it is is that's probably lying. So yeah, there you have it. There are plenty of solutions that are able to like generate alerts based on machine learning, which make a ton of sense. It's more the, the processing afterwards to be able to say like, hey, this, this IP is definitely known good based on machine learning is like, yeah, very, very hard to do. And yeah, it's where an actual manual process that can be a, or a step-by-step process that can be automated where you're able to understand the decisions that were made and why something happened is, uh, can be really important. And there's also plenty of things though that I think that the Nova 4 team have worked on that are I suppose, less flashy, but equally as important. So things that you've worked on around like onboarding and offboarding users and things like that, that you've worked on. Can you tell me a little bit about, a little bit about those and why you decided to prioritize those? From a general securities perspective, the biggest risks for a specific employee are when they're onboarded and then when they're offboarded. When they're onboarded, the person doesn't really know what's going on entirely with the company. They don't know what's normal. So even from just a uh, security awareness standpoint, they're a huge risk. And we actually pulled the statistics on this um, when I was uh, the security awareness manager. Those employees were five times more likely to fail on a phishing test compared to everybody else in the company, which kind of makes sense. They don't really know what's mm-hmm. going on. Uh, they'll tend to not do the things they probably already know they should be doing. For example, just hovering over a link. They get excited. They see something like, I don't know, human resources meeting the first week, they'll get a fish like that. And then they'll just be like, oh, crap. And then they'll just click it without really thinking. 
So you kind of need to beat that out of them in a nice way, right? Like, so just, oh crap, I failed. So then you move on. And then when you get to the automation perspective, you want everything to be as easy as possible for not only, say, the IT team to set up accounts to provision these users, but also for the user themselves. So there's nothing confusing coming in, right? There's nothing worse than you get in to a new job and your inbox already has 150 messages because a previous user had the same email address that they were left. So now that you got their email address, right? And so now you have all this email, right? So you want to you want to try to limit that kind of thing for the user. So from the actual automation perspective, doing things like checking, okay, was this email used before? Some, that's something very simple that, you know, maybe an IT professional, so they don't have to look that up. It just is automated. Here's the next person's email address. Bam, there you go. And then you're good. And that's something very simple that you can write up real quick and utilize that saves a lot of time for not only the IT professional looking up something and then the user as well. So they don't have to work with all those extra emails, right? So, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose it also, yeah, it provides a ton of assurance at the end of the day for your compliance certs and like for the security teams. Now, actually, we've gotten rid of all these people. We don't need to worry about them. Uh, they definitely don't retain that access. But you've kind of talked to when you're creating those users, but making sure that they exist in one place or they didn't exist before is something that you don't necessarily think about until you start automating. You don't realize just how complex some of those processes can be in your own head or in the IT team's uh, head right. as well. It's, uh, it's often hard to envisage those processes and exactly all those steps that you're taking, right? Yeah. And then to go back to, I talked about onboarding and then offboarding, it's it's even more important because you don't want these people to have access. Mm-hmm. So just have a checking mechanism that goes through all of your systems. Hey, is this person active? Yes or no? No. Ping it back and then bam, you're done. Again, very simple process that could be easily automated because you're just hitting APIs. But if somebody were to go do that manually, they have to go and open up 20 different apps for every person that was offboard. And that's just a lot. So making that easier is is definitely the key. Nice. Another thing that I wanted to ask around is that you also have automated a whole lot of stuff with your own product, right? So uh, like the nudging of people if they haven't completed their awareness training, the prompting if they've, I suppose, failed to test or things like that. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you did that and also just how easy it is to do it in, in No Before? One of the best ones that I think from an end user standpoint, which is really convenient for them, is the notifications to Slack. Again, we have a built-in process to email people notifications. But getting that into Slack, the workspace that we kind of work in now 100% of the time, it makes it even easier, right? So they just get a notification if they complete training, if they don't complete training, if they're past due. Also, if they click on a phishing email, uh, they'll get a notification. Hey, you clicked on this phishing email. Uh, They'll get a notification if they report a phishing email, right? So a real fish that is uh, designated as a fish in fish ER, um, they will get a, uh, a message saying, hey, you reported this. It was a fish. Good job. Just simple little things that not only make it clear to the user that they're doing a good job, but almost lets them know that they're doing something that's helping us out too. So in the message, we make it clear like, hey, we saw this as a fish. It saved us from 30 other users from clicking on this by using FishRip in FishER uh, and it pulls it right out of their email box. So they don't even have to look at that uh, phishing email anymore. You reduced our exposure by so-and-so, you know, you just, you're letting them know, you're giving them the information that they kind of want to say, okay, yes, this is working. This is why we're doing this. So really helpful. 
And yeah, really positive reinforcement as well. One of the challenges that a lot of our customers face, I think, is that like security is often seen as the team of no, right? The team that says, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. And you just did that and stop doing that. Whereas encouraging people to report, but more importantly, like encouraging, you know, giving them rewards or like congratulating them or having a leaderboard to say like, this person's doing really well. Even if it is, they clicked, they clicked and reported. That's really good. Uh, And it makes security a lot more approachable. And I think for me, when yeah, the security team being approachable and being able to, yeah, like be a trusted advisor and trusted partner is, is a pretty critical part of security operations teams functions today. So it's pretty clear that now before are like on the cutting edge and doing some really, really smart stuff in security operations. If you were somebody else that's uh, I suppose starting a security operations team or even just working in a in a security operations team, what's some of the advice that you'd give them today? One of the big things again is prioritization. Make sure that you know what is more important than other things. Also know what's easy and what's hard. So have a good understanding amongst your entire team, get some feedback, what is going to be easy and what is going to be hard and what is more important. So then you can make a, you know, a kind of a, an idea of what you should hit first. Recommendations would be hit the easy stuff that is most important, the quickest, right? So get those things done. If it's going to be easy and if it's going to be helpful, get those things done. And then that will clear up some time to do maybe some of those harder things. So it's like you chip away at a big block and then, you know, big pieces will fall away or smaller pieces will fall away, but you're still chipping away at that block, right? So that would be my first kind of recommendation on approaching this. Another one would be, again, what problem are you trying to solve? Make sure you really understand what you want out of the automation and not just do something expecting it to be what the person wants or needs and then it it just be end up being more work. Make make sure you stay away from that. Understand the problem. Understand what the output needs to be, and you'll be golden. And then you know once you're down the path a little bit, don't be afraid to try some fun things, right? So one of the coolest things that we've done, which you know it was easy to do, so it wasn't a big time suck or anything in this, but you know not necessarily the most overall useful thing, but it is interesting to look at whenever an individual logs in to um, our systems, we get a notification that goes through. Basically, we scan their IP address, right? And we make sure that they're not running any or have any things on their routers that might be compromising on the user's end. And, you know, everybody knows that we do this, but it was an interesting thing to set up. And then we have a Slack channel that actually will spit out the IP scanning results from that. So it's pretty, pretty interesting to look at. I have a story in that where in a in a previous role we had somebody in a company we acquired and yeah, we detected a suspicious login, we investigated it, and the IP address was a tour, it wasn't an exit note, it was just a I don't know, a transport note, I suppose. Sure. But uh yeah, we were like, What? Like, how did this just happen? I contacted them, they were like away for a couple of hours or whatever, spun up a massive incident, locked down several machines. And then it turns out they're like, oh yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm yeah, a Toro relay node. They were like yep. saying, actually, yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I uh, just as an experiment, I'm running a Toro relay node in my uh, in my home network. And we're like, what? You are <laughs> kidding me. This is absolutely not what anybody should be doing, but especially not exactly. if you're SSHing into a production environment. Yeah, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty terrible. Um, but anyway, yeah, it wasn't an actual breach, obviously, but was pretty... Yeah, pretty terrifying and really good to know from a security hygiene point of view. I really like that as an idea. I really liked your like chipping away at a big block because I think sometimes people think security can be that massive block and that like, hey, this is this is impossible. 
But if you break it down and you just prioritize and say, this is what will have the most impact and it's quick and easy, then you're able to make an impact. And pretty, pretty soon you'll be able to start yeah, seeing the wood from the trees to, to mix a metaphor there. Um, exactly. So uh, it's nice. I suppose, yeah, you've talked a little bit about your advice for what some of those easy things. Are there any other easy things that you'd say like, hey, just just do this immediately. Just like try this out, spend, uh, spend some time and automate this. So I talked about alerting. So when you get an alert, try to give the person that's looking at this alert the most information possible so that they can just close out the ticket or handle it right then and there and not have to go searching over 13 different platforms to figure out what actually is going on. So that would be my, at least for us, that was our biggest victory so far is just to do that because it really saves time for everybody on the team. Other recommendations, utilize the platforms that you use most. So for example, if you're on Slack and everybody's on Slack, then use it Slack to help with whatever you need to help with. If you need to send alerts to people, try Slack. You know, that might be a better option than, you know, something else. So really take into account what you have available and then what you can use, brainstorm. Don't be afraid to ask people that you might not expect. I've actually had discussions with a couple different departments on what they would like to see or what would be cool. And that has been a good bountiful harvest of things and ideas. So don't mark people off of not having good ideas because they don't really know how to automate because they still might, you know, there is something to be said about if you don't know how to do something, you're more creative in your ideas about it because you're not limited by your past experiences. So you can kind of think out of the box just naturally. So make use of that, you know, talk to people you might not expect and get some ideas. out. I love that. I hadn't, uh, hadn't thought about it that way before. That's a a really smart, uh, really smart approach. So if you're thinking about, I know the team are, but if you're thinking about security, like and security operations in a couple of years, like what do you think it's going to look like? You know, even just looking at Nova before, I think specialization is going to become more and more of the thing to do because we're going to have more time saved on doing the boring things, right? You're not going to have a whole team dedicated to just looking at alerts. You're going to have a couple of people that'll look at certain alerts and then they'll be able to do things that they are interested in or are good at doing separately. So then you can have a team full of red teamers, a couple of devs on your team that are good at programming um, and writing scripts. You can have individuals that are a little more cloud oriented, things like this. So then coming together, you have a fully established team, right? That can do pretty much everything. But the specialization is interesting because then you can pull in more and more things and make things more and better over time because they can go over boundaries because they're not looking at the boring things. They're, again, able to reach out and touch more things, right? So that's that's kind of where I think things are going to be going is more specialization because there's less need of looking at the same dull things. Okay. In that regard, how do you envisage, I suppose, people getting started in security? Does that create a bit of a barrier to entry or do you have a training program to get people up to speed so that they can be in the red team? Yeah. So I think the big thing for an organization, especially if they want to start developing their security teams, is all the resources that you can possibly acquire, make sure that's available, make sure it's clear on where to find that. A big thing, it seems like, is, you know, especially say red teaming, right? There's a lot of knowledge in individuals for red teaming, but as like social media has come up, that knowledge has kind of been spread out, right? So beforehand, you kind of just had to know somebody and they would kind of like walk you through it. 
Uh, maybe you pick up a book or you just have to learn things by yourself. Now you can go to Twitter and you can see live zero days being left and then you kind of get to see where the action is and that's super cool. But for an organization, make sure that you know how your professionals got to where they were and then make sure that those same steps are available for the new guys coming in. And don't be afraid to let them kind of experiment and break things because that's how you learn. Um, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to have them do their own thing so long as we're all kind of on the same page because that's how you learn. That's how you make things better. Yeah, I love it. I think, unfortunately, Dylan, that's all that we're going to have time for today. I've really appreciated you joining. If people want to follow up before we wrap up, if people want to follow your journey, what's the best way to, to find out more about you or about Know Before? So you can just go to my LinkedIn page, Dylan White. Uh, LinkedIn, albeit no before. I can't remember the exact link. And then for no before, you can go to nobefore.com. We also have a blog page. I think it's blog.nobefore.com. Mm-hmm. And that's a great resource to see what we're doing and what we're up to and what we're thinking about. Awesome. Thank you so much. And yeah, best luck. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.